This evening we're going to consider being sons of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're looking at just one verse this evening. It's the last verse that I read to you a short while ago. Look at verse 17 of John chapter 20. Mary Magdalene, she'd met with the Lord Jesus Christ in the garden. At first she thought he was the gardener. Sounds rather odd, doesn't it? But you've got to bear in mind, you look at verse 1 there, in chapter 20. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark. So that's one thing, it was still dark. Also, she had tears in her eyes. And uh, she didn't know really what to expect. I'm sure the last thing she expected to see was the risen Saviour. So, perhaps we can understand why she should think that the Lord Jesus Christ was the gardener. Anyway, she saw him and she came to a realisation of who he was. And then in verse 17, he said to her, Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. On a Friday, about 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ, he laid down his life when he was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die. And upon that cross, we see the emblem of suffering and shame. That great event happened when Jesus offered himself as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. All the other priests before Jesus had offered animal sacrifices for the sins of the people, the children of Israel, the Jews, whom they represented before God, and they offered also for their own sins. We saw that this morning, and I may as well tell you now, there's a lot of overlapping, I, I can't help it. When I was reading through my notes this afternoon, I thought, yep, I said that this morning, I said that in fact what we've been considering on Wednesday evenings and various other times, it's all it all comes together, it all merges together. I, I could apologise but I won't, I think it's um, it, it doesn't hurt to hear these things time and time again. But anyway, where was I with this? Yeah, the, so the priests of old, they offered sacrifices for the sins of the people whom they represented before God and they also offered sacrifices for their own sins because they too were sinners. And even though the blood of those animal sacrifices was undoubtedly a gracious provision from God, it never purified or cleansed guilty consciences. We can't dismiss those sacrifices. They were God-given sacrifices and they did provide, uh, if nothing else, a temporal um, forgiveness. We saw again this morning that the sins of the people were placed upon those animals and 
it's not as if they, they received an, uh, an everlasting forgiveness for those sins. Those animal sacrifices pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who by his own sacrifice, his self-sacrifice, does provide forgiveness of sins forevermore. But those animal sacrifices were a provision from God for his Old Testament people. And those sacrifices pointed to the great heavenly high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who offered himself as the spotless Lamb of God. And his precious blood cleanses all whom he represents before God from all their sins. His blood purges their conscience in order to serve, willingly serve, the living God. Having become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, death and the grave could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the third day, he rose victorious over sin, Satan and death. And now, all these many years later, all of you who belong to Jesus, all whom the great heavenly high priest laid down his life for, and whom he represents before God. In other words, all whom the Father gave to him. If you belong to Jesus, it's because God has chosen you before the foundation of the world and given you to his Son. And then in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them who were under the law. And in the fullness of time again, you have that testimony, if you're a Christian, that God called you with a, an effectual and holy calling to his son. And he drew you to his son with cords of loving kindness. And by the grace of God, you received Jesus and believed on his name. It's all by the grace of God. Furthermore, you remember and celebrate not only his death, that sacrificial death, but you remember and you celebrate his triumphal resurrection and his ascension to the right hand of the throne of God. As you consider the wonderful truth that Jesus has opened wide the doors of heaven for all who are trusting in him for the forgiveness of all their sins and trusting in him for everlasting life. The first person to be given the privilege of seeing the risen Saviour was a godly woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. However, Mary had not always been godly. Most certainly, she was holy and without blame before God in love and accepted before God in the beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. However, Mark's Gospel informs us that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. Even so, like every other Christian, Mary Magdalene had, by the grace of God, been born again, saved from her sins and purified by the blood of Jesus. This evening we'll consider 
chapter 20 of John's Gospel, verse 17, which reads, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. First of all, Jesus has ascended to heaven. As has already been mentioned, Jesus is no longer dead. He's no longer buried in a tomb. He is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the majesty on high, where he intercedes. He intercedes for all he came to save. People who were once helpless and without hope, but now they have a certain and sure hope that reaches all the way up to heaven where Jesus is. Can you imagine that? Jesus, the Son of God, having laid down his life for you, is now seated at the right hand of God, representing you before God, interceding for you before God. He is your heavenly high priest. There is no other priest seated at the right hand of God. Only Jesus, we read of, is seated at the right hand of God. And even now, dear Christian, though you're still here in this world, in the body of flesh, the sinful body of flesh, even so, by faith in Jesus, you enter boldly and with confidence into the holiest, into heaven itself, by a new and living way. That is, by the blood of Jesus. Even now, you have access to God through the veil, which is the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality of that was signified when Jesus yielded up the ghost on the cross and what happened was that behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. No man had done that. The veil in the temple was tough. No one could tear it and it was high up And yet we read it was torn from top to bottom. That was an act of God. And that signified that that Jesus had opened up the way into heaven by all who come to God through him and by his precious blood. Mary Magdalene was assigned a very important task by the risen Saviour and that was to inform his disciples, that he was going to ascend to heavenly glory. Jesus was was to be highly exalted and to ascend to heavenly glory. Now that is amazing when you think that only a few days before that, Jesus said with a loud voice, he cried with a loud voice, when he was on that cross, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he was suspended between heaven and earth, and as he bore the curse of God's broken law, and as he drunk the cup of sin. To anyone who has not yet trusted in Jesus as his or her saviour from sin, Are you hearing this message? 
You've heard it many times before. You know it as well as I do. But is it sinking in? That Jesus has ascended to heavenly glory, having paid the price for sin, for all who are trusting in him as repentant sinners. Those people have access to God in and through Jesus. And there is no other way. As Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Maybe you are already trusting in the Saviour, but for all that, you've taken your eyes off him and you've allowed yourself to become distracted and drawn away by the things of this world, perhaps by financial concerns, health concerns, I don't know, whatever's going on in your life, but things that have taken your gaze off the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom we are to consider and to look to, the author and the finisher of your most holy Christian faith. Consequently, you despair, and to all intents and purposes, you're now living as someone without hope. That happens, doesn't it, when you, I should have mentioned sin as well. If there's some besetting sin, maybe it's time for you to confess your sin. And God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm speaking to Christians here, of course. God is, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But you will never be forsaken by God as a Christian. Never. But it may well feel like it at times when there is sin in your life. And it may well feel like God is a million miles away. I know that from my own experience. And I know that's when it's time to come before the throne of God's grace. And this is something we do as Christians, time and time again. But we're not coming to God so much as to our Heavenly Father, our loving Heavenly Father, seeking forgiveness from Him. The God who sent His Son Jesus into the world to lay down His life, bearing away your sins. God who has loved you with an everlasting love. You are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And don't take your eyes off Jesus. Secondly, sinners become sons of God through faith in Jesus. Look again at verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Note that Jesus did not simply say, I ascend unto my Father and to my God. 
He said, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and to your God. Jesus said that because he has achieved a very real and an everlasting reconciliation with a holy and righteous God for people like you and me who are by nature, sinful nature, children of wrath, separated from God by our sins. That's how we come into this world. We come into this world as separated from God by our sins with the original sin of Adam. However, Jesus has changed all that. He has, by the blood of his cross, made peace with God for all who are trusting in him. That really is something. Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross. I heard some news today. Apparently, the Pope has has, uh, said that... uh, as. I don't know what he's done, whether he's asked or commanded that all conflicts in the world should stop. This is the Pope in Rome, has demanded that all conflicts in the world should stop. Okay, is anything going to change in this world? Of course not. You know that, I know that. It, It made me smirk a little bit when I heard it. Not that I, not that I think it's funny that there's so much conflict in this world. It just, I've just found it, found it mildly amusing that someone in Rome can demand that all conflicts in the world cease. Because it's not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. This is a Christ-rejecting world. This is a world that is in rebellion against its maker. Looking globally, there are wars. And those wars are not going to cease. Or look at nations, look at France. It looks like they're having one of their revolutions again. If if you've seen it. There's anything but peace in nations. Look at communities behind the scene, even here in our community. Anything but peace behind closed doors. There's a lot of misery, a lot of sadness a lot of sorrow, a lot of terrible things happening. And that's not going to cease. It will continue until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. However, you personally can have a very real peace. doesn't matter what's going on around you, in your own community even, even with your next door neighbours. You can have a peace that endures And the best possible kind of peace, a peace with your maker, almighty God. And Jesus has secured that peace by the blood of his cross. That is the very best kind of peace. And you could think that you have peace in this world, and maybe you do. Maybe, at least for now, things are going really well for you. But it's worth nothing if you don't have peace with God. And you know as well as I do that whatever peace you might have now in this world, that can just evaporate very, very quickly. As soon as you get some bad news, it's gone. But there is a peace that passes all understanding, a very real peace 
that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who made peace by the blood of his cross for all who are trusting in him. Dear Christian, although you were far from God, things are very different now. As far as the east is from the west, so far have the Lord Jesus Christ removed your transgressions from you. We considered that this morning as well, didn't we? And it's worth considering again how wonderful it is that your sins have been borne by the Lord Jesus Christ and taken away by him as far as the east is from the west and cast into the deepest ocean. And we have God who has declared, I will remember their sins no more. Consequently, Jesus gives to all who receive him and believe on his name the power, the right, the great privilege, the honour to become sons of God, which is the fulfilment of Old Testament promises. For example, in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 10, it is written, And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. That's the Old Testament. And we see that those words fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who says in verse 17 to Mary, Go to my brethren, say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, my, and, and to my God and your God. That speaks volumes of how great the love and the mercy of God is towards hell-deserving sinners, in that he adopts hell-deserving sinners as his children. Think about it. Think about the reality of being adopted as a son or a daughter of who? Of Almighty God, who created all things. God, whom we read about in chapter 1 of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's the same God who adopts sinners as his children. And knowing and addressing God as Father. I hope you never take that for granted. The great privilege of addressing God, your maker, as Father. That really is something again. When the Christian prays, he's not speaking into thin air. He's not speaking to a brick wall or to an unknown and distant God. He's opening his heart to a loving Heavenly Father who hears and hearkens to the prayers of his children. Sadly, all too often, children have little or no relationship with their earthly fathers. I think we all know that. It's, it's very much the norm nowadays. And it's quite deliberate. The society's gone in that direction very deliberately. It's all, again, it's all rebellion against God. But we now have a generation of children, many of whom do not grow up with their fathers. Apparently, in Liverpool alone, it's estimated that 65% of children do not live with their fathers. 
I'm guessing it's even more than that in certain cities, more than 65%. But that's a lot anyway. However, the father-son relationship that the Lord Jesus Christ has secured for repentant sinners with God is one that will endure forever. And as I've always, as I've said, God will never leave you nor forsake you. I can remember when I was a London City missionary giving a, a, a talk in at the youth club, the midweek youth club, to teenagers. And I was talking much about the same thing here, God being a loving Heavenly Father, speaking to teenagers, and I had one of my colleagues whispering in my ear, trying to stop me, saying to me, I knew what she was getting at, she was trying to stop me from saying what I was saying, because most of the teenagers I was speaking to, their fathers had gone, were not on the scene. So she was very mindful of that, and she didn't want me to... To, to talk about loving fathers. But as far as I was concerned, if anything, all the more reason. People need to hear about God being a loving Heavenly Father, whether they have a loving earthly father or not. Whether the father's alive, whether he's dead. The best relationship is to have a loving Heavenly Father through faith in the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself altogether lovely. And he is the Prince of Peace, who brings peace between a holy and righteous God and people like us, sinners. People need to hear that, whoever they are, whatever their situation. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through to 7, the Apostle Paul said, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There we go again. We might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God have sent forth the Spirit of his sons into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, or therefore, thou art no more a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. As such, all who are adopted as sons of God have a heavenly inheritance. Why? Because they're heirs, they're sons of God. As sons, they have an inheritance. They are heirs of God, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. They are people who have the Holy Spirit and they do, they are people who do not walk after the ways of this world, following sinful desires, but rather they walk in the Spirit as they willingly draw on God's grace and as they willingly seek to do that which is pleasing to their Father in heaven. And all that with the Holy Spirit who is given to them working in them to will and to do of God's good good pleasure. As Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through to 17, if the spirit of him, this is the Holy Spirit, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the spirit, do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Listen to this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. So the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our own spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We have an inheritance as children of God. The new heavens, the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. I thank God that I'm no longer in a state of separation from my maker, facing the prospect of judgment and damnation. Maybe that's your present situation, facing judgment and everlasting punishment. If it is, then call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner and believe on his name. Thirdly, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Look again at verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Note that Jesus did not simply say, I ascend unto our Father and to our God. He said, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. That tells us that although we, or you as Christians, you who believe on Jesus, you are sons and daughters of God, children of God, there is a difference between your relationship with God and the relationship of Jesus. He and God, for he is the eternal son of God. Not only is there a difference there, but of course it's a very big difference indeed. Jesus was not adopted as a son of God. As I say, he is the eternal son of God. He has an everlasting kingship. And he was active with his father and with the Holy Spirit at creation. As it is written concerning Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 and 10. Now listen carefully. These verses are about Jesus. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 and 10, it is written, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And thou, Lord, in the beginning, has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens 
are the works of thine hands. Big difference, yeah? Jesus, the Son of God, in those verses, he is referred to as God. He has an everlasting kingdom and he is clearly being presented as the creator God. Even though Jesus is the eternal Son of God and as God, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, there was nevertheless a time in history, about 2,000 years ago, when Jesus made himself of no reputation and he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The Son of God was manifested in the flesh having been sent into the world by his father. He was born of a woman and he was born in subjection to the law, God's law. Jesus obeyed that law with sinless perfection on behalf of all who would ever trust in him, all from the Garden of Eden till the end of the age. And he carried the heavy burden of their sin upon himself at the cross. As a consequence of the perfect obedience of the incarnate Son of God, his sacrificial death upon the cross, where he was forsaken by God, and by his resurrection and his exaltation, all of you who were crucified with Christ and raised up to newness of life in him will never be forsaken. Jesus, who has given you the right to become children of God by adoption he has said in the very last verse of Matthew chapter 28 lo I am with you always even unto the end of the world last of all Jesus calls his disciples brethren we'll look again at verse 17 Jesus saith unto her touch me not for I am not yet ascended to my father But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Note that Jesus did not say to Mary Magdalene, go to my disciples. Rather, he said, go to my brethren. Who were the brethren that were being referred to in that verse? The brethren were men who fled from Jesus when he was arrested the evening before he was crucified they all fled the brethren included Peter who after the Lord's arrest denied knowing Jesus three times more broadly the brethren includes all who belong to Jesus and that includes you if you trust in Christ alone for your acceptance before God Jesus never referred to his disciples as brethren before going to the cross. However, afterwards, as we see in verse 17, Jesus, having completed the work of redemption that his father sent him in the world to do, he is not ashamed to call them and you, dear Christians, brethren. For that is precisely what you are. Jesus is your brother. As, we, as well as being the God of your salvation. Dear Christian, behold what manner of love 
the Father have bestowed upon you, that you should be called a child of God. It is a love that is best seen at the cross, where the Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. Amen.